Yeah, please. Hey, why don't you stand and just say to someone they look wonderful today? Well, I want to add my welcome to you here today. It's really good to have you all here. Wasn't the presence of the Lord just amazing as we worshipped? You know, that's one of the passionate, central focuses of this church, is that we would create a platform where each one of us can determine to go after God and worship. Because it's out of God's presence that things happen. He loves to come amongst his people. And we've never reached the limit. There's just so much more that God can do. And when I read of things or hear of things around the globe or around New Zealand, I think, oh, God, do it at St. Albans. Do it here amongst us. So as we go after God's presence, that atmosphere that comes is just, sometimes it's electric. Other times it's just so peaceful you could go to sleep. Please don't. But you know what I mean, eh? It's just amazing to be in. And have you noticed that when we experience that, it goes out into the cafe with us, and then it goes into our cars with us because it's the Holy Spirit in us. Something wonderful. Something wonderful in that. Hey, look, I want to tell you, uh, uh, I'm preaching about this. Church is about relationships. And uh, before I flew home from from holidays this year, um, I'd already received, on the day, I'd already received a couple of texts saying, welcome home. And I thought, oh, wow, that's nice. That's cool. And as I stepped off the plane here in Christchurch in the evening, um, a friend texted and said, can I pick you up? And you're here today, so thank you for that. And I said, no, no, it's a beautiful evening. Sandra's obviously up with, with my grandson, new grandson, and um, I, I want to walk home. So I did. It was lovely. But, you know, I was also immediately invited to a barbecue because people knew that, some knew that Sandra was up with our grandson. Isn't that just the cutest kid you've seen today? <laughs> Apologies to those of you who are just sitting there holding children. <laughs> there are a number of you and there are grandparents here who are thinking, oh, yeah, he's all right, he's okay. But for me and for Sandra... That's just the delight of our hearts, you know. And so Sandra um, wasn't here, so I got invited that week to a barbecue. And the reason is that I built friendships with people. I can know a lot of people to a certain degree, but I've chosen to build friendships with some people. You know, as I said at the AGM this year, we as a leadership believe that God is speaking to us, all of us at SABC, about deepening our love. And developing that. And so you're going to hear that come through as a a theme over and over. Um, Our love, our care, our kindness, 
God wants it to go from where it is. And I think it's at an amazing place. But it's not the end. It's not all that God wants to do amongst us. He's got so much more that he wants to just bring out of our hearts there. And there really is a huge amount happening. You know, I'm blown away as I travel around, get into the hospital, meet with people, go to people's homes, etc. And I hear of all the visits that are going on. I hear of, of the, um, the prayers. I hear of sometimes money being given across the congregation. I think of icons and Alpha and the meals that we put on for, for um, about 100 folk each, each time. Um, they're just expressions of hospitality and love that is absolutely fantastic. But it's not where we need to stop. There's always more that we can do. Do you agree with me? God, God's got a high bar, but he says, hey, just take this step up to the next thing. You're here, take this step up to the next thing. In fact, I would say you're here, take this step up to the next thing that, that God wants to do. So I want to talk today about relationships, about us being deliberate in deepening the relationships that we have and developing new ones as well. So I want to ask you, who are you going to deliberately connect with this year what is that small, who is that small group of people that you're going to make a deliberate choice? I am going to bring them into the orbit and be open to being brought into their orbit as well. Because that's how relationships get deepened. And I want to give us some thoughts from the migration of geese. Because we can learn a lot from animals. Solomon taught us this. about he, he looked at ants and other things. And he says, notice this, there's a spiritual principle. Notice this, there's a spiritual principle. So migrating geese fly in a massive V formation, as we all know, and they do it deliberately. And as the front geese goose at the apex of the V flaps its wings, it creates an upward lift for the two birds that are flying right behind. And the same thing happens for each of the geese in the rows as the V fans out. And it's estimated that by flying together in formation, geese can fly 71% further than a goose flying alone. Isn't that cool? And so the principle is, people who work together and share a sense of community get where they are heading more easily and more quickly than those who go it alone. In other words, together we achieve more. And whenever a goose falls out of formation, it quickly feels the drag of going it alone, and it flaps itself to get back into the formation so as quickly as it possibly can because it wants to take advantage of the lifting power of the other birds. And here's the principle. People with as much sense as a goose stay in community <laughs> with those heading in the same direction. It's harder to get there alone. And when the lead goose gets tired, it rotates to the back of the V, and another goose takes its place in the lead. And the principle is, it pays to take turns doing the hard jobs. And we mustn't burn people out by leaving them to do all the hard work. And then the fourth thing, this is massive. And you all, you've heard it with other birds, or you've heard it with geese themselves. The geese from behind honk encouragement to the birds ahead. Encouragement is so, thank you, powerful, powerful. And so when, when leader, the principle is when leaders are encouraged, they perform better. Encouragement is a powerful motivation for anyone to keep going. And then when a goose is sick or wounded and can't keep up with the rest, two other geese 
will fall out of formation or move out of formation and follow it down to help it and to protect it. And the principle is in community, we stand with each other when we go through the good times or the bad times. And when one part of the body suffers, then the whole other parts help to make it better. And then sixthly, when a sick or a wounded goose is able to travel again, it links up with the next passage of geese, of gaggling geese. And the principle is we must watch for and welcome new people into our community. Now, that's not rocket science, but it's so important. People who are often who are recovering. Because all of us at times need the support and encouragement of others to get there. So there's a heck of a lot we can learn from geese. So I want to ask you, what value are you going to put on relationships, your relationships, this year? How important is it to us um, who you are fly- to you, who you are flying with? Because the church is all about relationships. I think I might have another slide of, of some. We're designed for relationship with, and by, with, firstly with God and then with other people. And we're designed to travel through life with people. Here's a group of people in our church who are relating through life over and over again, and they're not dropping off. Do you remember when people used phones to talk? Remember those days where you'd ring people instead of... These guys have been doing it for years and years and years. They're going deliberately through life together. And to be a follower of Jesus means you become part of a big team. Or put it another way, real genuine connection with God is not really possible without the church. Christianity is a team sport. Some people think to be a Christian is simply Jesus and me. But the Bible says it's not. It's Jesus and we. Let me give you an illustration of how this works. When I was dating Sandra, I only had eyes for her. And it was a very soppy period of my life, just as it was for you, right? And the rest of you said? And those that aren't yet married are looking forward to? Very soppy period. But I was totally in love, so I ignored everybody else. And I was taken up with her. And it was great. I was focused just on her, and she was all I wanted. However, when I got married, I got more than I wanted. (laughs) I inherited doubles of everything. I got another set of parents. We call them in-laws. I got another brother and sister in-law. The number of relatives that I have doubled too. All this extra stuff came as part of the package. I wasn't really thinking about that. I was just thinking about her. But when we come to Christ, we don't just get Jesus in our heart, the amazing transformation that he makes, but we get everyone else. Why don't you turn to someone around you and say, I inherited you. You know, with Sandra's relatives, Sandra is Eurasian, and so um, she, she has relatives in Malaysia, and they're Chinese, and so I got to travel to, to Malaysia and, and to meet the relatives, and all this, all this new stuff and new food that I'd never eaten before, I decided I really like what I've inherited. Yeah. 
And God has always planned for us to be a relational community. He said to people right at the very beginning, it's not good for you to be... So why do we think that we walk through the Christian life brushing the church off, brushing relationship with other Christians off and thinking that we can do our own thing and go our own way? We're like a dumb goose when we get like that. You know, the most famous thing, uh, passage about the interconnectedness, the interrelationship in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27, where each of us, each of us is likened to one big part of a, a, a part of a body. We're one little part of it. And in 12 to 14, it says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. And the thought is that we all need each other. We need each other. We're interdependent. And no one is so multi-talented that they can go up by themselves. And when they do start to do that, they generally fall over, hurt their nose, and pick themselves up with a little bit more humility and come back to the body of Christ. Sometimes for people that takes a year or two before they actually get it. It's much better if we can just realize it from geese. We need each other. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. And Romans 5, uh, 15 1 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And I am greatly encouraged when I see people in the church doing that for one another. So much stuff, so much love between people in the church is happening. But we can always improve. If we take just the next step, we're higher than we once were. We're, we're involved with more. You know, Charles Baxter, I rang him yesterday for a catch-up, see how things are doing. And, and I was, I was, he's just in this, as you know, uh, with his son having murdered uh, his, or yeah, taken the life of his, his, ex, his ex-wife and uh, his own children. Um, Charles, as the dad of young child, uh, Rowan, is in this nightmare of pain and hurt and trouble. And, and as we talk, I, I said to him, how are you doing? He said, I, he said, it's amazing. He said, I feel I would never in my wildest of nightmares have imagined that anything like this could happen in our family. But he said, I am amazed at the love and the care and the support people have shown to me. And I said, who's, who's ringing you? And he named you. 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 The people in his, Charles's closer relationship walk, and still people outside of that as well. Some of you have given money and you hardly know Charles at all. And he says, it just means so much to know the love of my brothers and sisters at a time like this. George and Ziggy are just getting ready for Ziggy to go back with Amelia to Ireland. I love the R in Ireland. Do you want to say Ireland? Ireland, Ireland. We sound like Invercargillites, don't we? But Ziggy spent most of last year away from George in Ireland. 
um, looking after Amelia. And, and on the 14th, they haven't been given an extension of stay in New Zealand. But, you know, they're examples of people who every text, every email, every phone call, every prayer is so valued in their hearts for what they're facing. Let's keep praying for Amelia. That's what the church is about. That's what the, the church should be doing. It's just so, so encouraging. But you know, if we can learn to open our eyes, deliberately open our eyes, and look around, we'll still see people who are sitting by themselves, walking by themselves, and we can come alongside them and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your day? Can we sit together? Can I hear about what's going on in your life? It's called taking the next step, lifting the level of love that's amongst us. And that's what God wants us to do, inviting people into our homes, saying, hey, come, come, come over for lunch. Are you doing anything now? Just come. We'd love to have you. We haven't got it prepared, but we'll prepare it as we get there. Just come. And you know, it means so much. Often the strong introverts are better at this than the others because they know what it's like to be in a crowd and be a unnoticed. I'm a really strong introvert. When I joined, as a, first became a pastor and would go to meetings and conferences and our annual gathering, I'd find myself in the midst of a crowd looking around. And strong introverts, because of that, even when they're in a place of safety and they know a lot of people, their eye will still catch the one who's alone. But extroverts can learn to do that as well. It really depends on whether we're just saying, God, keep extending the love in my heart for other people. And they come into your orbit, and sometimes they will become your closest and best friends. You know, I heard of a person who visited an elderly person every week, playing cards and drafts and checkers uh, and chess with them till that person died. What a gift to give to someone in the latter season of their life. You know, as soon as I got home, I, I went to see Joey because I, I thought he was going to pass away over Christmas and I'd get a call to come back and take his funeral when he was still alive. I couldn't believe he was at home. When I left, I thought, you're never going home. You're just going to go to palliative care. But he was home. And, and we, I got the opportunity to, to sit on his porch in the sun and, and to laugh with him and to go inside and he made me a cup of tea and I stirred him about how much healthier he would be if only he'd eaten his greens. Because if you know Joey, he never ate anything green. It was an abomination to Joey. And we, we laughed together and he died days later. You know, it's a wonderful thing just to be with people and to enjoy people and to, to love on people. See, like migrating geese, we can achieve so much more when we fly together. I want you to look just quite quickly at the passage that really describes the early church best. This is what the early church was like. Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted. Would you say that word devoted? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes 
for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. You eat it. No, you eat it. No, you eat it. Great generosity with their meals. And all the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's an awesome picture of what God wants to develop amongst every church, including this church, that we would go deeper and deeper and deeper with people. And it starts from, from a, a smaller group of people that you can expend your life with. Jesus had 12 he selected out 12. And then it says there was a bigger group of 72. And then we know there were others who were in the hundreds. But he had deliberately chosen, I'm going to relate to you guys and you women. I'm going to deliberately relate with you guys and build with you guys. And Mike, he would go fishing with them. Man, when I walked around the Lake of Galilee, I walked just a tiny look down a couple of the beaches and things. Beautiful lake, actually. But you just picture Jesus there. They need to go to, from where they are to Capernaum, and it comes lunchtime. There's no, there's no dairy. There's no takeaways. There's no burger bar. They got their fishing lines out. They threw it in. They caught the fish. Those fish you gave me the other day were, oh, they were big. <laughs> You're a good man. I'm going to miss you. <laughs> going to miss you. They were, they, you know, they just, they, and then they cooked it. And then they ate it together. They were doing life. They didn't just turn up for an hour or two a day. They were actually journeying with these people. And he couldn't do that with the 72. He chose, first of all, the ones who were going to be part of his small group, who was going to be really close to him. And he was going to be close to them. So they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And, and they didn't go, go to church so much as they were the church. You've got to remember the early part. They were pretty quickly persecuted. I was doing some reading, and I'm sorry I'm going to make my sermon just a little bit longer with this because I'm ad living, but um, there was so much persecution when finally the persecution was over in AD 313, um, Constantine, who had become a Christian, called a council of 1,800 uh, church leaders from Spain all the way across Europe, right through to Syria. He wanted every leader that he could possibly get together in one room in a place called Nicaea. Uh, 300 and something were able to come. Many couldn't come because of the disfigurement and the, um, uh, that had happened as a result of torture with legs and arms and things being taken off. But the bishop of uh, Egypt, who had had both his eyes plucked out to try and get him to renounce Jesus Christ, but he wouldn't, he came. It was a room, what I read, is, is, it is a room full of handicapped people done so by the Romans, to try and get them to recant from Jesus Christ. But there's just something about Jesus that just attracts us so much. So much. He's so beautiful. These men and women wouldn't um, give it up. So it was, a, it was a lifestyle for them. It wasn't just, I'll go to church for this amount of time. It was their being. It was their life. And I want to ask you, is that how it is for you? Is that how it is for you? Have you invested yourself into a group of people 
where you, where you know that you're mixing and relating with others and you're doing life together. You know, they devoted themselves to a number of things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let's leave that and just go to the, the second one. They devoted themselves to fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. And it's an amazing word because it means so much. It means partnership. It means participation. It means communion. Um, not, not the taking of juice but, and bread, but, but deeply relating spiritually. And they devoted themselves to contributing. In other words, financial. But think about being devoted to some people in this church in partnership. Now, if you are in the world and thinking of a business, you want to be a partner or you want to get married and you want to have a partner, you, you look very carefully at who you're going to be with because, because partners go to deep levels with each other and they become responsible for each other at, at various ways. Is there a group of people in this church that you've decided, I'm going to partner with these folk through life? And the amazing thing in the early church was it was totally across all racial or social divides. People of different nationalities just made said, I'm going to be your best friend. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to encourage you when you're down. But I'm telling you, I want to partner with you. You know, I've got three small groups. Two of them are here in, this, in Christchurch and one is in Auckland. And, and I'm part of the Auckland group. And I, I had a, something to do with leading most of the people in that Auckland group to Christ. And for maybe going on 30 years, I've been partnering with these people. And if I'm ever in Auckland on a night when they meet on a Friday night, I'm always welcome. And we turn up and we, we just celebrate and we talk and we laugh and we talk about our lives and what Jesus is doing with these people. It's amazing. And then down here, I have a, a group where we meet monthly with some of the men in, in the church here. And, and I call it a coffee group. And they're men I respect. And I value their opinions. And they're people that I can learn from. They're people like Alan Baston and John Button and Dean McLaughlin and Alex Gale and John Scott and Glenn Coates and Dave Diggs. And they're all very different. And that's why I love, love being with these guys. Because when I get together, the, the, the information and the talk and what they bring to the table is so deep and rich. And we have formal cells, and I'd love you to be a part of one of those. But you don't have to just limit yourself to that. You can be a partner and build such a network of close relationships with anyone in the church, provided you're all wanting it. And they were devoted to participation, because that's Koinonia as well, actively helping one another. And I've helped so many of you shift homes, and you've helped me too. We shifted seven times in seven years, but that's another story from earlier days. And I've helped many of you with projects, and, and so many of you came to help Sandra and I when we were overwhelmed because we bought a house with no insulation. And I thought in the, after the first year, I'm selling this or fixing it. And so many of you came with hammers and crowbars and you pulled the jib off and, and Jeff with your saws and cut walls out and all sorts of stuff. And then we began to put it all back together again. Thank you for doing that for us. And Murdo and Donna, um, you've started a games evening. Where are you, Murdo? You started that games evening just to get people together. Because people who have fun together, they start to bond. Except if someone's always winning. <laughs> Tony and Tony Norris and Mike Button, you guys have got that problem. 
Um, and then they were devoted to communion with each other, the spiritual stuff. And our coffee group has the most amazing sharing times. We share what Jesus is saying to us in our family and in our business. And we journey through the deep stuff if anyone's going through it. And often when we're walking out to the car, two guys will hang back and they're just in deep conversation and sometimes in prayer and the rest of us go home, but they're just carrying it on because that's koinonia happening. And they were devoted to contributions, in, in other words, generosity. And occasionally as I'm going around the church, I hear how money's flowing between different people because of some real need that's there. And, and, and Sandra and I uh, often say to ourselves, do you think God wants us to contribute into that thing? And then we say, well, how much should we contribute? And, and, and it's not just that it's ours, but we, we belong to a family. We, long, we belong to something much bigger than just us. So they were deliberately building the depth of this relationship with others. And they weren't waiting for people to notice them and do good things for them. And they weren't waiting for people to notice them and do good things for them before they decided that they would coin a near with others. They took the initiative. They saw how, you know... <sighs> So, God, open our eyes so that we can just see how we're designed to be a blessing to other people. You know, God, was, God has always lived in community. It's called Trinity. He's always loved. He's always had Holy Spirit. The Father has always had Holy Spirit, Jesus, and himself. He's always loved. So when we come to Christ, he places his love inside of us. It's actually working against your new nature to suppress love. If we open our eyes and we stay tuned into God, He can connect us with all sorts of needs and help and love expressions. And it's there within you. It's not absent. If it's absent, you haven't got the Holy Spirit. So how do we really do it today? What's one of the main ways that the church is designed to do it? And it's small groups. It's journeying life with a small group of people. We take our lead from Jethro's advice to Moses. Moses, at one stage, was one person trying to answer a million, up to three million people's questions. And he had lines all day. And probably people slept in the line so they'd be a bit closer for the next day. And Jethro's father-in-law says, What are you doing? It's so silly. Haven't you seen geese? He said, Get people into small groups, about 10 families together. And he said, Set some people over groups of maybe five to ten people in, in ten families, ten lots of those, have someone else encouraging up the top, and then... You know, as soon as people got into these things that we call cells or small groups, back in that day, the care, the love, the contribution, the help, the answers quadrupled or more. Because when we're a goose trying to fly alone, it's hard work. When we get into the formation with the others, we can have a rest. <laughs> and so that's what I, I really recommend that we do. We recommend, I recommend that we do that. 
But here's the central point of everything I'm saying today. Will you choose to open yourself up to other people? And make those choices. Make yourself vulnerable to others. Will you choose to partner with a few people? And like me, when I left Auckland with Sandra, I said, I'm, I don't want to lose what I already have. I'm going to another part of the country, but somehow I want to still journey with these people, even as I make new journeying with this beautiful group of people called St. Albans Baptist Church. And so I just deliberately said, I'm, I'm not going to let you guys go. I'm going to stay connected with you. And we set some things in place. Here are some of the things that uh, being part of a small group has, has done for us. I've been part of cleaning up people's homes and sections when they've gotten out of control and they've been willing to say, hey, I need any chance that you guys and girls in the group can help me. And in the small group, I've helped to build a young woman with cerebral palsy a home, a house. We did that. Bought the section, helped her to get finance, range builders, worked ourselves. Six or nine months later, she's living in a house. She went on to get married and have a child. But when, we, when she was in the youth group, she lived with her mother and her brothers and sisters in the family home, and her total vision was that this was going to be her life forever. She was going to live with her mother, and her mother was going to look after her. But a small group said, we believe God's got much bigger things for you. In a small group, um, we've gathered as intimate support um, for friends when their son died at age 17. And we just all left where we were, and for 10 days or two weeks, we just camped at their house and help them through that time when their 17-year-old son dropped dead on the, on the soccer field. And in a small group, I've seen people become Christians. And in a small group, we've received help to clear our own section, where a truckload of vegetation, a whole group of guys came in, and a truckload of vegetation was taken off our house and an island there. And then we went to the dump, and they refused to let me pay. It was 300 and something dollars for the tip fees. <laughs> and they said, no, 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 it's our, it's our blessing for you. We just want to help you. We just want to bless you. Anyone want to join a small group? <laughs> Getting active in a small group is one of the steps, and I would say it's the first step to living out, bear one another's burdens in love. So will you decide to deepen your love for other people today? Will you determine to journey with other people? Will you lay down all the others should do it for me first thinking and just say, whether they ever responds from that particular person or not, I want to bless them. Because you know what you give away, God will make sure comes back into your life as well. If you're on board with me, would you stand for prayer? Father, I thank you that you live in community. You didn't give us a teaching that you have not lived out for ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And as you've loved us, Lord, that love is within us. And God, we just want to say, use us. We want to open ourselves up, Lord, to you and to other people. Lord, 
No race is better than another. We just want to love and be expressions of your love. So Lord, fill us up. Fill us up. And God, help us to see the people that we could journey in this next 12 year, uh, months, two years, five years, and then 10 years. And if we live long enough, still be journeying with them when it's 50 years time because we've devoted ourselves to building koinonia with those people. Give us eyes to see. Give us discernment to know. For we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if I'm talking about partnership within the church, and God wants us to have that kind of partnership with all people, and he'll pick out specific ones, but it starts, first of all, with a partnership with him this way. And I just wonder whether there are any here today who are not actually right with him. You know, we sing such wonderful songs today and God's presence come and we speak about God's not worried about our past. But you know, that's the situation when we've come to Christ, when we've accepted his love, when we've asked for forgiveness. Because there is a barrier between people who have never come the pathway of Jesus and it's called our sin. A holy God is here and we're down here. Many people think, I've taken lots and lots of funerals, and many people think it's a, it's a balancing act. If I've done enough good in my life, then it'll balance out all the bad and I'll get to heaven. But Jesus says just one sin. The Bible says just one thing wrong. In a, a life of entirely good works, but only one is enough to not make it into heaven. Because Jesus' standard is perfection. And, and if we really seriously think about that, then, then no one's got a chance. And that's the whole point. None of us have a chance unless God were to do something to make it possible. And he has. He came and he lived. God became a man, came and lived here and then died and took our sin took all of the, the punishment that a just God must give for every sin that has taken place. Jesus took it on himself. That means he took everything wrong that you, are not, you have ever done and I have ever done. And he says, if you ask me, you can have absolute forgiveness and you can become a follower and a believer. So I wonder if we can just have every head bowed and I just wonder whether I'm talking to one or two people here today. Who, who know that you're out of step with God. You know that there's a barrier of sin. You know there are things that you need to be asking forgiveness for. And if you want to, I would love to lead you in a prayer. And I'll, if you pray it from your heart, the words that I'll give you to say, your life will absolutely change and you will, you will become a child of God. If you want to accept Jesus today, would you just slip your hand up wherever you are and I'll try to see it with my dim eyesight. If you're here today and you are not in a position of rightness with God, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. You'll know it because inside of you there's a battle going on. It's in your mind and it's in your heart. And should I, shouldn't I? The answer is yes. <laughs> okay. God bless you. God bless you. Please stay standing. Um, I think we're going on to some worship.